Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashan. Today we wanted to talk about summer forage options, or as many Oklahoma cattle producers like to call it, feed. Uh, Dana, you have a simple aversion to the word feed, and can you explain to us why you don't like that word? Well, I came to Oklahoma and people started talking about plant and feed, plant and feed. I'm like, what is that? What are you talking about? And uh, I guess it refers to sorghum Sudan, millet, Hay all, all hay grazer, all that kind of stuff. So I've never caught on to that thing, that sort of term. So I guess I will probably refer to that. But Josh and Trent will use it. I'm I'm the oddball in the group. Well, feed. Yeah, me growing up, feed was always hay grazer, which, you know, there was the hay grazers of old. And nowadays, it's not nearly as simple as just saying hay grazer. Uh, you, know, you got sorghum Sudans, Sudans, and then regular Brown midrib and Ford yeah. sorghum, millet. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different options out there. And some of our previous podcasts, we've talked about wheat and wheat hay. And now we're going to have some acres that have maybe not been taken all the way to harvest and producers are looking for some options. And as a producer, and you know, I just got done planting soybeans and things like that, I'm thinking I want some of my farms to be lower cost options. Can feed or hay be a lower cost option for some of us, you know, thinking about low inputs? Yeah, absolutely. So I know in the past when hay has been short, they've looked to summer forages, summer, you know, summer feed options to kind of fill that forage void in the winter that we would use in the winter time. And so uh, in the past, millets have been a good option. Um, there's a variety, like Trent said, a variety of different uh, forage, summer forage options, hay grazers that you can choose from. And so um, in the past, a, a lot of the lower cost options that we've looked at, that I've looked at for producers have been good, have been good options to keeping that hay cost down. Yeah. For a lot of our producers, they have a very simple feed source out there, which is crabgrass, and that reseeds itself annually. So that's kind of something that we've been looking at. Josh, how would you manage crabgrass following a wheat crop? What would be the kind of run through producing that crop? It is an annual, uh, so you do have to let it go to seeds from the previous year. If you've never had crabgrass, obviously you can seed it uh, just like any other grass crop. Make sure you don't have residual herbicides out there that can hamper the growth of it but we've had a lot of producers really love that wheat and crabgrass mix especially for almost year-round grazing where they can have something to graze out on their wheat and then let the crabgrass come on and then dump them back out and we have a lot of bit of a lot of forage uh, produced from it so uh, kind of limited on nitrogen needs uh, so a lot of guys just rely on what they put on their wheat uh, some do fertilize it get a little bit more out of it but most of them are using it just as a more or less a free catch crop. Yeah, and whenever we've grown crabgrass on our own farm, you really have to have your consumer in mind, i.e. who's going to buy that crabgrass. 
because I've I've talked with some people interested in buying crabgrass, and I say, you know, we can spray it for weeds, we can fertilize it with 50 pounds of N, you know, it responds really well to nitrogen. It'll go from light green to dark green and look beautiful, just like in your yard. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're growing crabgrass in your yard, which most people don't want to do, <laughs> but it it grows really well in those conditions. But you know, some per, some people interested in buying it said, well, that sounds really expensive. I don't, that's not the type of forage I'm looking for. I want crabgrass that's maybe lower quality with wheat straw in it because it's cheap cow hay. So yeah. that's that's something that I think we have to think about, you know, who are you going to be producing this hay for? Because if you start spraying for weeds and buying nitrogen, you're going to have a lot of money tied up in that hay. And you're going to go from something that you may have been able to market for, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 to $80 a ton to something that might be worth $100 a ton that you don't have a whole lot of buyers for. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as hay, it's a good option, but grazing is really awesome too. I know um, some of the state extension specialists have done some grazing, low-cost grazing research on it, and it's been great for creep grazing, so allowing calves to um, access the forage and cows just utilize another option. Um, but it's it's really, really low-cost pretty high quality um, and uh, can be a really good additional option to kind of giving your pastures maybe time to rest during the growing season, um, giving your grass pastures and then having those cows on crabgrass. One problem I'd probably see there is if you have really tall stubble or you have uh, stripper stubble, that you might have eye problems with cattle grazing that. So it might be something to think about during harvest if you're wanting to graze crabgrass to kind of try to cut lower to get some of that stubble shorter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I I forget that combines cut a lot higher than they used to. <laughs> Way back when I was back in Nebraska, when we cut wheat, it was it was probably just a few inches off the ground. It's just a little bit different. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. But that's that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen stubble almost a foot tall at times and we have some really good looking wheat out there. So there will be options for cutting rather high. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned briefly, Dana, that uh, we've had some extension work done on it and that kind of spurred originally from looking into cover crops. Uh, so utilizing that crabgrass with wheat, keeping the ground covered year round definitely has some big major benefits to it. Now, there's a lot of benefits to it. There are some negatives. And there's definitely some <laughs> there's negatives. definitely negatives. And if you're going to stick to a wheat on wheat on wheat rotation, crabgrass can fit. But if you get crabgrass started on a farm, it can be kind of difficult to get rid of. And it's a highly competitive with crops like milo and soybeans. So even in a lot of the broadleafs, uh, crabgrass is known to produce a lot of allele chemicals, allele pathy. So it kind of prevents other seedlings from emerging right near it. Especially I've seen some guys where they went from wheat, crabgrass, and they're going to go back to canola. It even choked out some of the canola where it's thick. So uh, that is something to take in mind as well as is if we are limited on rainfall going into fall, uh, that crabgrass is going to suck up a lot of the moisture. We're not going to have much fall forage on the wheat if we mm-hmm. let that crabgrass grow too late. And that's with and that's with anything, right, Josh? So right. any of those summer forages well, we need, or any summer crop, we need to be concerned. You know, if it dries up, we're just using or weeds, right? If yeah. There's weeds out there. It's just pulling all that moisture out of that ground. That's something that's tough to remember. We are in a semi-arid region of the world so we get between 30 and 32 inches right here and you know you you know from one side of oklahoma to the other you go from 15 inches to over 40. Mm -hmm. so it kind of really depends on where you are and what you can produce but the nice thing as an economist i think about hay crops you know either it comes up on its own or if you're even seeding it if you keep your costs low and you keep your nitrogen applications low 
there's not a lot of input there. And then if it starts to get hot and dry and it burns up, uh, you can harvest that at any time. It's not like we're waiting for grain production. At any moment, we can go out there and harvest. Can Abs you, absolutely. And, and Dana, you talk about quality differences of different sizes of plants. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about it on the wheat hay um, portion, but um, a lot of times with a um, less mature plant, you'll have a little bit higher quality. Um, and that's for sure with um, forage sorghum, sorghum sedan. Uh, we, if we have to harvest it a little bit earlier, it's better to harvest it before it gets too stressed. Um, harvest it a little earlier. Maybe we have a little bit less product to less hay in the long run, but it's a higher quality product. Now, if we let that plant get stressed, um, we could have some issues with nitrates. Um, and so, and that, you know, besides decreasing the quality that can really add some sort of risk to the hay, um, issue. And so, uh, maybe Josh can give us a little insight on, you know, how we can manage, um, the nitrate problem. Well, like we looking at a lot of these summer crop options, a lot of them are going to be kind of those millets, hay grazers. Uh, usually our biggest concerns for nitrates, but a lot of times we're trying to limit our nitrogen, but if we are pushing them pretty heavy, nitrate toxicity could be an issue. Another option we've been looking at is TEF, uh, which has been very touted as drought tolerant and very low use on nitrogen. Uh, for the most part, we've had a really good success with it out west in Oklahoma. Uh, it is related to lovegrass and the lovegrass family, so we some guys have grown that uh, no, it still does great in the drought. Uh, it does take, you know, three, four weeks before it really gets to a size to where you can hay or graze it uh, to get that root system developed. But even with that, we've had some trials looking at nitrate levels on TEF where it's not supposed to be much of the accumulator for nitrates. But even at higher nitrogen rates, we did see it spike out west. But we didn't see it in northeast Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is something we're wanting to look at more. But any options you're looking at, and we've Obviously, every now and then have some weeds out there. Pig weeds are obviously going to have a higher nitrate mm -hmm. level as well. But yeah, Josh and I work um, pretty closely. You know, July and August time period when producers are bringing in samples to be tested for nitrates, and we always tell them, you know, if it's dry, if it's been hot and dry, um, that's always a risk. We don't, we can't say it is for sure going to be there. We can't say if it's 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 going to be, you know, completely nitrate free. We just don't know. That's another thing you bring up our test that we do in our in our office here, which is just a quick yes or no. Uh, but oftentimes we always try to steer guys to send in a true sample. We give them an actual number, and if it's post haying, we've gone out and taken samples. I know Trent and I have done that before. Uh, go out sample a certain number of bales to get a representative sample of the field and send those off, and that kind of goes back to marketing the bell, doesn't it, Trent? Yeah, and this. As long as the crop is growing, that nitrate test is good for the day you took it uh, or maybe the hour you took it. Absolutely. It can change very, very fast. And that's where we try to keep nitrogen rates low and split application of nitrogen, which is not only a good nitrogen practice and it helps reduce costs because you don't have as much chance of loss, but it also helps keep some of those nitrates down. But yeah, if you have high nitrate hay, that stuff goes from being desirable to about having to pay someone to take it. I mean, you mm -hmm. have very limited options at that point because it's going to have to be blended. So then you're thinking if I can send it to a feedlot 
or I can grind hay at my own place and try to mix it, but it becomes a big problem. And some of these sorghum sedans can produce quite a few bales the acre. So you might have huge haystacks that are all just too hot to feed. And once and, it's in the bell, it's locked in. Yep. It's not going to yep. go down with time. Yep. No matter how long you store it, it is still there. And that's another uh, term that we tend to use around here is saying hay is hot. Can you kind of mm-hmm. talk about what that means, Dana? Oh, gosh. That's another one of my favorite terms. So, um, some people say hay is hot. They, I think they're referring to, this is what I think they're referring to is they, it's high in nitrates. Is my hay hot? Um, and, and so, um, that's, uh, refers to, you know, the level of nitrates. If it's not hot, it's low in nitrates. I, you know, I, it's better to use the term high or low in nitrates because hot feed, some people refer to the high energy value of feed. Kill it, cause my cattle to be acidotic or cause some digestive upset. So they use that term too. So that that's another term. It sounds like I'm kind of like the the agriculture term police or something <laughs> over here. But <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it it's, comes back to the point of trying to be safe and, and mm-hmm. understanding. It's like we have to be careful about the acronyms we use because some people don't understand. So we don't want to just assume that everyone knows the local lingo. Absolutely. But but what would be a dangerous sample? We we're talking, you know, nitrates are measured in parts per million. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, every different every animal's different and if she's pregnant or not. And, yeah. and the term or how pregnant she is versus you know, not. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So typically we think anything above, anything below, let's go below 3000 parts per million is safe for the most part. Um, Though, you know, any pregnant animal or any young um, suckling animal um, is at higher risk. You know, any animal, it's just like humans, any animal that has um, maybe a, a depressed immune immune system can be higher risk for toxicities. Um, and so we say that, that it's safe under that level. There's other levels we can talk about, um, but uh, we measure it in parts per million. Um, that's what a feed sample would come back as. But, you know, no matter what you get tested for, we always give you a guide. You know, here, if, you're, if your sample is between this number and this number, this is what it's safe to feed for. Though we need to keep in mind, you know, if you only took samples of five bales and you have 100, you could have a bale that's extremely high. You know, 10,000, 20,000 parts per million. I mean, you have the high risk of having abortions in cows. Um, you could kill animals with levels that are that high. We don't see it that often, but that's just what's so hard about it. It's kind of like that thing lurking, you know, in the background that we just don't really know that's there. So I would say any sort of feed that we're planting, any sort of feed, there I go, I'm using that term, any sort of summer forage crop we're planting, you know, has that risk. And we can't always guide you on on how to you know, utilize to minimize, I mean, to keep that risk-free. We can't be completely risk-free. I've often heard the rumors that, you know, you have some old cows and you're just grazing. They kind of nitpick and they know what's hot and what's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how much truth to that is. I love is. cows, but I don't know if they're that smart. <laughs> I don't know that my pocketbook would really want to trust that they're that smart because it takes mm-hmm. losing one animal that I could have burned that whole line of hay and not or buried it or something. I don't have to utilize it if it's not safe. And when I've been, if I've ever fed hay in the past, for my own stuff and and I thought it might be close. I like to try to give them more than one option mm-hmm. so they're not just eating that feed source. Is there opportunities there to kind of limit feed hay yeah. with other op- with other forage? 
Yeah. So limit feeding is the exact, is a really good term for that. So we always say, you know, if you're going to turn cattle out, that's where, you know, turn cattle out on a, on a pasture of forage sorghum or something like that. Make sure they go out full with full bellies. They're not, they're not hungry and not going to engorge themselves, you know, make sure that they can adjust to it. That's one thing I didn't mention that they're the microorganisms in their uh, rumen can adjust to a certain level of nitrates. It's the influx, huge influx that can cause, you know, fatalities and that sort of thing. So, um, allowing their system to kind of adjust to it. So like you said, Trent, give them more than one option, allow them to kind of blend that. Now, if it's really mature, uh, they may not eat very much of it at all. You know, if you bale it and it's really mature, the stem is two inches around, you know, it, uh, they may not eat much at a time. But if they're able to, we will see most of the nitrates in the stem. And so if you allow the cattle to go out full, allow them to just kind of pick on the leaves and that sort of thing allows their body to adjust to that. So that's one management factor we can kind of control. Like you said, it's hard for us to tell people, well, we tested it today. It's safe for you to turn it out. That's maybe not the same case for tomorrow. That's another thing we've seen where guys hate it off. And then, like we just said, the stems down low are going to be the highest concentration. And we turn out after we hay, should we wait for some how much more new new growth should we wait for before we turn out? So, so the brand new growth will be hotter than any of it. I mean, hotter. Say, there I go. Higher in nitrates. We'll be higher in nitrates than any of it. Um, so I can't remember exactly, Josh. Is it seven inches, 10 inches a foot, something like that? I want to say at least eight, yeah. Yeah, eight inches. I couldn't quite remember that. But um, so we want to make, make sure that that kind of, those nitrates can kind of like, you know, flush through the plant and not be so concentrated on that tiny new growth because those cattle will love that fresh new growth from that from that plant. It's kind of about a plant being stable in its growth. Uh, if you chop it off, that's a huge shock to that plant. Mm -hmm. So whenever it goes to regrow, it's shoving all of those nutrients into that new growth to grow rapidly. So that's where you see that accumulation in that in that first new regrowth and, and the real dangerous for our animals whenever they're grazing. Yep. So, um, like I said, the forage, sorghums, any sort of those summer crop options are really usually can be a really cost-effective, um, you know, grazing cost-effective hay source. As long as, like you said, Trent said, um, um, make sure you're not just going all out with the nitrogen and herbicide and that sort of thing. They can be really effective um, for feeding cows, feeding you know stalker calves, that sort of thing. But there are risks involved a little bit more than i would say than wheat uh, or anything you know a regular pasture there's just a little bit more risk involved so so we've talked about the risk we've talked about how to mitigate the risk so if i want help mitigating this risk and sampling can you take me through the sampling process and how i would take that to the the county office and and get some interpretations okay so um here at the county office at all the county offices we have the ability to do a drop test kind of like josh said it tells you that whether there are nitrates present or there are you know whether it's there it doesn't say what level it is or anything like that so that's one option we have to test so what you need to do is um, go out in your field pick what would you say eight to ten stocks josh i mean that's quite yeah, a few but a variety Davis has at least 15 to 20 but okay yeah more yeah. the merrier and the whole plant the whole plant yeah. from top to bottom so try to get it cut off as close to the ground some guys just pull it up if they can um, bring it in and what um, josh or i would do or a county educator would do would be split it from top to bottom and we have some 
testing fluid, I guess we can call it that. I call it diphenylamine. It's a drop test. If there are nitrates present, if I drop it on that cut plant, it will turn blue. Um, it doesn't matter what color, you know, blue is blue. If it's black, you know, it's, it's there. Okay. It shows whether nitrates are there. We can't tell you how much is there. Um, so that's one option. The other option would be my favorite option is just the sample it in the bale. We know it's stopped growing. The nitrate is, you know, frozen. Let's say it's just there. What, what's there is there. The level is there. And so, um, make sure you're, you know, hay sampling, coring bales, um, from the outside, round side of the bale to the inside to get a good representative sample of the entire field. You know, get 20% of your 10 to 20% of your hay, your bales sampled with a hay, hay core, mix them up and send the sample in and we can get that, that tested. Josh, do you have any more input as far as getting those samples collected? Uh, the samples only, or the data is only as good as the sample. So not going to where, you know, there's going to be drought or more drought stress plants in the field, but try to get a representative sample. So go to different parts of the field where, you know, you have healthier plants and some more stressed plants, kind of get a well mixture of them to get that representative sample. Uh, you can cut it up or you can just bring the whole sample to us. We'll cut it up and process it, mix it and send it in as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anything we can do to make sure it's a representative sample of the field. Um, don't take it just from inside the gate because, you know, that that area is probably not the best soil. It's compacted. And so that plant could be more stressed. Um, we'll show a higher level of nitrates could be so. We always like to say, you know, it's a lot of work, but get out there and, and pull those plants um, to get a good sample. All right. Well, that's good conversation. I'm happy we got into that because it's going to be very timely as we move into the summertime. And, you know, just remember that if you ever need help with any of this, you have a county office in all 77 counties. So reach out to them for help. And we wish you a safe and successful feed growing season. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.